0: Coming up on this episode of East Screen, West Screen, Donnie Yen gets a special ID, Captain Harlot sails to the UK, we rip into Journey to the West on Blu-ray, and we plunge into the films American Dreams in China and Star Trek Into Darkness. East Screen, West Screen!
1: to another episode of East Screen, West Screen. This is the show where we talk about film from Hong Kong to Hollywood and lots of stuff in between. It is Wednesday, or no, sorry, Monday, May 13th, <laughs> 2013. Uh, as usual, I'm your host, and we're normally here on Wednesday, but we're here on Monday because joining me, as always, from his super-secret location right here in the Fragrant Harbor is Mr. Kevin Ma, but he's oh. soon to be heading off to France to the Cannes Film Festival.
0: Yes. Uh, hi, everyone. Uh, hi, Paul. Yes, I'm. I'm going to the Cannes Film Festival, um, but not not for the entire time. Just for five days. And you know, it's really a, it's the first time. I'm going with uh, my girlfriend, and it's really for her. I'm just kind of tagging along, and uh, yeah, and get to see how it is while I'm there.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's
0: all for her, right? You're sacrificing. Oh, because her film, I'm got. I got it because of her. Her film got into the to the short film corner, so uh, she got me a pass.
1: Mm. So, Sorry, gotcha. you're going to get to rub shoulders with uh, some of the big wigs, right?
0: Yeah. Uh, I can't wait to meet um, uh, 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 the guy who produced uh, Piranha 4DD <laughs> in the film market. Because I'm not going to, you know, of course, everyone wants to go to, everyone thinks about the red carpet and the glamour and the big movies and, and you know, all that crap. But I'm actually going to be spending a lot of my time in the film market, which is essentially, you know, Anyone who can buy a booth, who can afford to buy a booth, um, can get in, mm. essentially. Yeah. So, you know, there'll be a lot of uh, small little production companies trying to sell off their films to uh, investors. And it is one of the biggest, uh, world, one of the world's biggest film markets. Um, so there'll be a lot of different, 60,000 people there uh, during the festival time, I believe. So a lot of different things to see. Not just glamour, not just stars, not just good movies, but plenty of bad movies, I'm mm.
1: sure. Yeah. So how's your French? non existent es <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah
1: yeah you just did the, you just did the typical american french accent which like <sighs> offends uh an entire country of french people right uh either it that or what, what is the lyrics to the old uh the old disco song right uh voulez-vous coucher avec moi or something like that <laughs> <laughs> <C'est soi. laughs> well we hope you have a good trip and uh we will certainly miss you when you're gone, but when you come back, you can uh, fill us in on your life and times there in uh, in French on, the, on over there on the. Where is it's it's on the French Riviera? Or yes, uh, yes, yeah.
0: um, five days there and then uh, five days on a real vacation uh, in Paris. Right. Everyone forgets the Paris part. It's like yeah, you're going to Cannes, but I'm like I'm actually I don't. The film festival was really stressful. I kind of just want to go on a holiday. Yeah, you can so. uh,
1: visit all the uh, film locations for uh, Rush Hour Three.
0: <laughs> the, 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 that means I have to watch Rush Hour 3 again, and I'm not doing that, Paul.
1: It was Rush Char- was... Hour 3 that was in Paris, right? Or yes, was that was
0: it? Paris, and I refused to watch that movie again <laughs> just to go to the the, the location. It's not worth it.
1: All right. Well, we do hope you have a good trip, um, but that is neither here nor there. We are here to talk, as usual, about some films. So what
0: films are we looking at this week? We will be talking about Peter Chan's latest film, American Dreams in China, um kind of a big deal because you know it's Peter Chan. And for West Screen we'll be talking about Star Trek Into Darkness. Did you like the little the little voice I did in the beginning?
1: Yeah, it was uh kinda dark, right?
0: Yeah, you know, it's like into <laughs> darkness. Yeah.
1: <laughs> well, all of that and much more coming up after just a little bit of news. <laughs> All right, so um, not a whole lot of news out there this week that caught my eye. A couple news stories. First one, relevant to Hong Kong cinema, and that's a little bit of news about Mr. Donnie Yen. This coming from our favorite news site, Film Biz Asia, uh, from Patrick Frader, dated uh, the 11th of May 2013. Uh, the title is Eastern Light Takes On Yen's ID, and this news story is basically saying that Eastern Light Films has picked up the rights to Donnie Yen's latest film uh, called Special ID. This film is being directed by Clarence Fogg, who I think sometimes goes by the name Clarence Ford. Is that right, Kevin?
0: Um, probably a long time ago, but he's yeah. gone back to Fogg as as long as I've seen his films. Yeah.
1: Um, okay. it says it sees Yen as a Chinese cop embedded undercover in one of the country's most ruthless gangs. The gang leaders on a mission to weed out disloyalty. Um, now, not to not to carry over our much heated uh, debate from last time in the film Drug War. Um, But uh, is this film, you know, is this going to have all the mainland sensibilities and the soft regulations applied to
0: it? It's a Donnie Yen film. It's not really going to (laughs) touch anything that Johnny Toe touched in Drug War. Let's face it. He's going to kick a lot. Actually, this movie, I've been getting a lot of questions. I've been getting this question about uh, about this movie since last year, because um, if anyone remembers, this movie was quite famous because Vincent Zhao was in this movie. And then he got fired. Yeah. Uh, in a very, very, very uh, vocal manner, uh, he opened press conferences, talked about how he got kicked off the film because of Donnie, because Donnie's a producer. Uh, and then Andy On was uh, he was replaced with Donnie uh, Andy On, and then you had the original. Um, original director or original writer of the film came out and started it started a big fan war between fans of Donnie Yen and Vincent Zhao. I didn't know there were fans of Vincent Zhao because until this happened. Yeah. And didn't Shu so, um, it was a really big deal, um, and Xu the Ke? film kind of
1: quietly. Was wasn't Shu in the middle of that too? You mean Her... you mean you mean yeah. The 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 the, the, the debate between uh, the Yen clan Ah uh, yes because she Yeah, yeah yeah. Yeah I think yeah, yeah, yeah. Because, we remember we talked uh... a bit about that.
0: Yes, because she she supported um, Donnie Yen um, because of the I forgot why, but then but then yeah she's and then some of the Vincent Zhao fans bought up her her past and then uh, it took her off a uh, she decided to uh, ban Weibo for like six weeks or it was like five days really, <laughs> but uh, but yeah um it was a really big deal so to, so I mean I, I always get questions once in a while about what was going on with this film is it still is the original writer Tom Bing still suing the the production apparently um I even have a picture, um. With the office entrance, uh, because the old hexagon concepts office was right next to the the Hong Kong production office of the film, mm. so so I have a picture with the with the sign um, "Special ID Production Office." Uh, but yeah, um, I guess it's kind of floated up again. I'm not sure when the film is coming, but um, it's been it's been actually out of um, it's been out of uh, how do I say it's been out of commission for so long that uh, Clarence Fock and Donnie and made together after they were done with Special Identity, I think, hmm. or. Yeah, and essentially they made these two films together. Um, so honestly, I don't have much hope for *Special Identity*. I think it's just going to be one of those '90s style like action flick where Donnie Yen gets to kick lots of ass instead of Vincent Zhao's ass. He kicks Andy Yon's ass. So mm. that's all. Yeah.
1: All right. Well, uh, who knows what will come of it? Uh, but I, I like your little comparison there of a of a, was of Shu getting off of a Weibo for six weeks, but it was only like five days. <laughs> it's kind of like. Uh, you know, dog years, or you know, star's life, or something. Yeah, you um,
0: know, they are always like I'm gonna go away from Weibo for a while, but yeah. they can't stay away because it's Weibo.
1: Yeah, well, it's every everything. You know, I, I guess celebrity works in a in a different kind of t- temporal uh alignment than the rest of us. Right? I think of like Paris Hilton. You know, she gets a uh, jail time for you know several months, and she's out in a couple weeks. Right. <laughs> so time moves differently if you're a celebrity. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, next bit of news, a uh, little bit of Pan Asian news. Uh, this also coming from Film Biz Asia, is uh, dated uh, May tenth from Patrick Freider called "Toei's Harlock captured by GFM." So this is about the upcoming big budget animated film, Harlock Space Pirate. Um, that and it's going to get sold to UK based sales house GFM Films. Um, the budget here it says is in excess of US thirty million making it one of japan's most expensive films and the animation of course features motion capture effects and it's going to be presented in stereoscopic 3d um now i'm a pretty bi- i was a pretty big uh galaxy express captain harlock uh queen esmeraldas fan when i was younger so i gotta say i'm pretty excited uh, about this um perhaps the only other film i'm as almost as excited about is the live action uh uh, Gatchaman uh, film that's supposed to be coming also. Um, but I've seen the trailer. They've got sort of a teaser trailer out for this film, and it looks great. I mean, the animation is is even better than, uh, say, uh, the, the Final Fantasy Advent Children animation, which was really top-notch uh, as, as it is, and they've already um, surpassed that in many ways. So I'm super excited to see this. I hope it comes to Hong Kong, and I'm hoping that it comes with uh, English subtitles. I don't know if it'll make it, though, because I don't know if Harlock's a big draw here in Hong Kong. Uh, But it's definitely one that I do want to get
0: out and see. Um, I was doing some random research, I just had. Well, first of all, there was a trailer, a teaser, out last week of this film in Japan. And the first thing they saw was actually the voice cast. Yeah. They first sold the two actors, because it's actually done by two very handsome, very uh, famous actors. Uh, Oguri Shun, who is the star of, star of the Crow Zero um, films, and uh, Miura Haruma Miura, I think, who is a, kind of a young and upcoming star who's been in a couple of films. Um, I can't, Top of my head, I can't think of films. film. He, he, he's bigger on TV, so I watch him on TV a lot. He's very famous. Mm-hmm. Um, so it seems like in Japan, the first thing they're selling, you're trying... Because serious sci-fi um, animation don't really sell as well as, uh, like, the Ghibli films or the family films or the franchise films. Yeah. So um, it seems like they really need to sell this based on the cast first. Hmm. Um, Interesting. And, yeah, and the ca- and, and the claim that uh, the film was one of the most expensive uh, animated films ever made, I was looking up some uh, figures. Um, I think I was writing some stuff and descriptions. And I started looking up the, the budget of uh studio ghibli films and uh apparently some of them cost uh around that budget as well partly mm. because of the big marketing costs and a lot of the hand hand-drawn animation and things like that yeah um so yeah it's big but uh yeah it, it, it certainly seems like they have a lot riding on it unlike the ghibli films which always makes you know a ton of money
1: yeah i i'm i feel much more confident about this than some of the live action stuff i mean yamato was a pretty big disappointment uh the, the the Gantz film, I wasn't too impressed, especially with the second one. Um, and Harlock's a character that's been around for a long time. He's got several series. You know, he's got manga, he's got uh, toys. So I'm hoping that uh, they, they do right uh, by this interpretation. And typically, I find I enjoy animations a bit more than the live-action attempts because they tend to stay a little bit closer to the source material. All right, I think that is going to wrap up our news segment so let's move on and talk about some film east. Train. West. Train. all right our east screen film for this week is the latest from director peter chan a famous hong kong director who's kind of moved up north into china as many directors have uh, to tackle some content that is a bit more focused on the mainland So, Kevin, why don't you give us a quick synopsis of American Dreams in China and tell us your thoughts on
0: it. Sure. Um, Well, American Dreams in China is actually, uh, if you notice, Peter Chan's first um, drama, straight drama uh, since... um, When was uh, Perhaps Love? Perhaps Love was in uh, 2003, wasn't it? Quite quite a long time ago, actually. 2005. That was a musical, right? That was a musical love story. So we talk about like a straight-up dramatic film this may be the first uh peter chan's first drama since um comrades almost a love story in 1996 uh because then he's he's since done you know genre films like the horror films or uh uh, romantic comedy in hollywood love letter um he came back and did a musical which is perhaps love and then he did the warlord which is a action epic and then he did um uh uh, uh, which is an action film as well so Come kind of a long way to return for, you know, old school fans of uh, or fans of old school Peter Chan because Peter Chan is much better known for his dramas uh, and, and kind of low key um, or romantic comedy films more so than his uh, action films. So it is a return to form uh, or potentially return to form. Uh, But, of course, uh, he doesn't talk about Hong Kong anymore. He's not really interested in Hong Kong anymore, if you ask me. Um, It seems like he has decided to uh, aim straight at China uh, with this uh, rags-to-riches story. Um, The film starts, um, let's forget the first 15 minutes, because the first 15 minutes kind of goes back and forth. We already know that uh, the film's three lead characters, uh, Chen Dongqing, played by Huang Xiaoming, and uh, Men, Men Xiaojun, uh, played by Deng Chao and uh, Wang Yang, uh, played by Tong Dawei, they will all be super successful as as, um, as English uh, or as the creators or the, the 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 head of an uh, English school in China or a chain of English school educational institute, what have you. Um, but then the story kind of jumps back fifteen uh, to nineteen eighties when they first met in uh Yanjing University. Um, I forgot to check what is a real university. I don't think it's a real university. I think it's supposed to stand in for Beijing University. they um, the free meet there, and uh, I think uh, Huang Xiaoming is is kind of from. Oh, the Chen Dongcheng is from a rural rural town, and and he he's working very hard to get into the college, and then he meets um, Men, Men 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 Xiaojun, who is uh, who who's. Whose family already has two generations of people um, who studied in America, and he's obsessed with um studying abroad in America as well. He kind of makes it his own mission to do it, and Wan Yang, who um, uh, who is really more interested in uh, going after um, uh who 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 adapts American culture by talking to American girls, so that's you have your three characters in college and they go through their uh, ups and downs. Of course, uh, Chen Dong uh, falls in love with a very beautiful girl named Su Su Mei. Played by supermodel uh, Du Juan. Uh, we'll talk about that a little talk about her a little bit later. Um, and and while that romance kind of failed later on, uh, after Chen Dongqing has uh, graduated, um, Xiao Jun uh, goes straight to America after his graduation uh, and works in a lab. But of course, struggles like a lot of immigrants do uh, when they go to America from China. While Wang Yang uh, continues to to. Um, Date hit the an American girl, but uh, who eventually uh, leaves him uh, because uh, she doesn't. She was stunned with China, um, so so heartbroken. Chen Dongqing decides to uh, use kind of use his uh, uh, heart heartbroken his his uh, his broken heart to to teach English, and and it sort of worked out. The students kind of gave him uh, some kind of loserly charm uh, that that really charmed the students, and he became he started um, building students and. Uh, little private classes in KFC starts to uh, grow into sc- a school, and Minshaojun, who is um, who who has struggled in America and decided to not uh, try to struggle anymore, goes back to China and joins up with Wan Yang and the three uh, start up a uh, huge um, uh, this this big school that will become uh, kind of an empire. Um, so that's essentially American dreams in China. Um, so again, very very simple rack to riches story. Um, I think that this is Peter Chan uh, as a director using Chinese national pride to flip off Hollywood because the the point of the film is kind of like um, Chinese people used to need America and now they don't need to bow down to America anymore. So the whole point of the film is is for Chinese people to kind of get national pride. And personally, I don't like it when American films do that already. Um, so I shouldn't like it when Chinese films do it. Um, does that make it? I mean, it it's understandable um because it is a very uh commercial film it's it taps directly into a chinese psyche in a way um so you know there was this whole uh, idea that we bow down to foreign powers or there we bow down out foreign culture or we admire foreign culture um and then we just bully our own people and then now that china is a super country uh, we have our own power and we don't need these foreign powers anymore uh and that these people should stop exploiting us um but that's you know that, that's an okay message you know a lot of countries a lot especially post-colonial nations uh, probably have that kind of uh, that's kind of psyche but it never really answered why Chinese people liked America or foreign culture so much um, could they could they just uh, is it because they couldn't say it because of censorship? is it because they wouldn't say it? Is it because they don't know how to say it? I don't know. Um, but they never really explain why these three characters ex, uh, are so obsessed with America. Not even the Mun, Mun family, uh, whose family has, like I said, three generations of people who studied in America. They just never—they never quite explain why they they, they like English so much. Uh, there was the idea that you need English to survive. They need English to make it in the world. But um, you know, there are scenes where that takes place around the, the U.S. embassy and this whole thing about them applying for visas. And they show—they um, show people uh, uh, lining up for 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 american visas and these people who are so desperate to get an american visa but they never explain why um but of course to say why would be kind of uh you know you can't really say why because you you can tell a lot of people want to leave china because of the conditions in the country and they can't uh as a state approved film they can't talk about that um storytelling wise uh the like i said the first fifteen minutes was a mess because it keeps cutting back and forth and i have no idea what's going on and and um and it wasn't really cleverly cut, edited anyway, so it really felt like you don't really know what was, what's happening in the story. To me, the story doesn't really take off until about 35, 40 minutes in when the Huan Xiaoming character starts at school. Uh, and it takes way too long. Um, Peter Chan said he was inspired by three idiots. Um, he uh, Because he saw the film and he wanted to do uh, the story about you know three young idealists, I guess, in college. And that's why it took 40 minutes to get to that point. But uh, while some of the stuff really worked, I, I think a lot of the comedy during that part worked. Um, it felt like it never quite established the character as well as it should have. Um, and I felt like I wasn't quite into the film until Hua Xiaoming or Dick Free has has left, left the school and they really start their business. That's when the film felt like it was taking off. Um, the film is also inspired by Social Network, apparently, because uh, there's a court a sequence and uh, a legal hearing uh, because the the free, uh, as you can tell, you will be able to tell from the opening that the free are are accused of um, copyright infringement uh, of the company that does the that makes the SATs and they're in trouble. So they're in um, part of the film. Uh, they're in a legal hearing. So I guess that's kind of a social network inspiration um but the school story disappeared and it became a let's all become rich story a a rags to riches story uh in the real world of course the three would would be would argue and then they would be driven apart by their own interests and they would start suing each other blah blah Um, um but it kind of becomes a fantasy because of that whole tapping into the chinese psyche thing i can see everything that he's trying to do the script is trying to do um the character, building the characters, uh, all the motivations, and what they're trying to say. I see I see what they're attempting at, but I could tell they're going about it as such a juvenile way. Um, especially the last 15 minutes, when it really takes a nosedive, when it really has to give that kind of fantasy ending. Um, even when going to the ending, it felt like a stupid way to do it. That it wasn't really smart, and that it was not, it's not convincing at all. So that's where the film really dived for me. Um, I think the three leads are okay. Uh, they're not great. I think especially the fact that they're not really speaking English well. I know that they – Peter Chen claimed that they had to be tutored in English. but, um, And I know it's hard to find Chinese-leading men who could say – who speak English, um, who could show that – who could be convincing as English teachers. Um, but it just didn't work here, I think. Um, you know, they, they, they're fine together. They're not particularly good. They don't have a lot of chemistry they're just three big male stars uh, hanging out together i'm not entirely convinced of their friendship i think that peter chan is still really weak at showing films that about friendship um as he was in in in, in uh, warlords but i think you know they're okay um do juan do juan uh the supermodel this her first role and there was a lot of uh, kind of hoopla around around her participation. She doesn't really leave an impression, um, unfortunately. I think she was okay. Christopher Doyle, who did the cinematography, seems to really like shooting her. Uh, but but um, I think her character was uh, greatly, greatly reduced, and, and you don't really feel anything about who this character is. She is this goddess character who just kind of comes and goes. Um, I don't really know who she is. So, so it kind of makes her character kind of weak. Um, I think... Parts of the film, a good part of the film was cut. I think um, Peter Chan to work with a, a, a contract obligation, you know, to keep the film under two hours. And um, I think it really could have used that breathing room, especially such a story that spans 20 years, which skips 1989, by the way. Uh, you would know why we look up 1989, but the film skips 1989 when they were still university students. Uh, for some reason, they weren't in Beijing. For some reason, they weren't doing something uh you can look it up on your own but yes anyway uh the, you, you can tell the film was kind of um skipping around they had to cut down a lot of stuff so maybe there is 140 150 minute cut out there that gives the plot a lot of breathing room that it needs to really for it to develop uh but right now i think it's pretty disappointing um peter chan has compared it i, I think it's pr language he compared it to Comrades uh, almost a love story he says even better um, I think there are some really good stuff like the middle part. Um, his use of music is, is quite—you uh, can tell that he put his company put thought into it. That they actually bought music rights; they really wanted to use music to tell the story. And there were a lot of interesting stuff here. But you know, Carmack's Almost Love Story* was almost twenty years ago. It was nineteen ninety-six. It was made of a lower budget, and it was still superior in every way, including some technical aspects. Um, Christopher Doyle's cinematography here is quite flat. He chose went with this. Really white palette, and um, you could tell that uh, Peter Chan is not really a stylist when it comes to making dramas. So I think um, Doyle's talents was kind of wasted here. And to me, visually, the film didn't inspire me at all. So uh, yeah, it's I was looking forward to this film because you know Peter Chan really excels at dramas, and I would like to see him trying to do this, uh, bring his brand of filmmaking, or what he does best, into China China market. And you know, it's not even because of the message. You know, the message is what it is. But it's the filmmaking part that was really disappointing for me. Um, So just the fact that it's Peter Chan, I would say TV it. But for me, American Dreams in China is really uh, quite a disappointment. I would say, yeah, I didn't expect it would be like this. So, uh, Paul, your turn.
1: Yeah, I I think I'm in the same place as you are on this film. Um, It's unfortunate that Peter Chan hasn't really appealed to me as a director in a long time. Um, I think that, you know... You got to kind of really go back to, um, you know, e- even stuff that he was loosely associated with, um, like you, you know, just as a producer with films like Golden Chicken, um, or The Eye, or um, you know, some of that stuff. But really, the some of his '90s stuff. Um, he's a woman, she's a man. He ain't heavy. He's my father. Um, under the rainbow, over the rainbow, under the skirt. You know those films. Are how I like to remember Peter Chan. Although I, yeah, you know, Comrades almost a love story is you know, viewed by many as his sort of penultimate uh, Hong Kong film. But I'm a little bit more partial to the romantic comedies than the straight dramas. Um, when when I look at his filmography and the things that I've really enjoyed, but that's just my personal taste. I have a preference for the you know comedies over dramas. Um, that being said, I, you know, like you, I was kind of excited, uh, to, to go in and, and, and see what he was going to do here, but really came out feeling that it's really a bit too ethnocentric for the international audience, but I think it'll play well for the Chinese audience. I think that, that the message is there and it, it echoes kind of, you know, similar feelings that I think he's tapped into. Um, and and I would be surprised if this film doesn't do uh, fairly well with with mainland audiences. That being said, the first thing that I walked out of the theater saying is this feels like a co- it's trying to copy three idiots three idiots really. And mm-hmm. so it's interesting to to hear that he was in fact uh, inspired by that um, because much of the film kind of plays out the, the three different characters with you know different personalities um the way that they go kind of through school together their attitude towards school their attitude towards some of their teachers the difference here is they don't really go for a lot of laughs of course there's no uh there's no uh breakout moments of musical which perhaps there should have been you know mm. um there but, were some
0: good, funny moments,
1: I think. Th- there, was some, there were some moments, but again, I felt it was a bit disjointed because, like you said in the beginning, it's kind of jumping back and forth. And just when you start to get invested in what's going on in sort of the present day, it pops back. And then right when you start to get a little bit interested in what's going on there, it kind of jumps back forward. And I think the linkages between those shifts are not as strong. Uh, as they should be, and and maybe that comes down to the the editing um, not being as as strong as it could be. Um, but uh, you know, for English teachers, which these guys ultimately become, these sort of gurus of teaching English, their English kind of is terrible. And I know you addressed this, but um, even the dubbing was kind of terrible. <laughs> I mean, yeah, was...
0: they dubbed them. I mean, I mean, actually, there's a big problem with dramas is that. Even 2003, when you're making a straight drama, you're not making action film, you still need – and you got free actors who speak fluent Mandarin yeah. and dubbing themselves, and they still need to do ADR. Yeah. I'm not um,
1: sure. But uh, I would, would – I did think it was kind of interesting in the approach that they used to become successful, initially sort of being this – going from a, a, an approach of teaching to an approach of sort of storytelling – and it's, it's kind of on parallel with things like motivational speaking, you know, I think that Tony Robbins and, and those kinds of guys, um, where they get out and they speak to the students in a way that, you know, makes them laugh, and gets them somewhat inspired, but is it really teaching them anything? That's the, that's the real question um, that was kind of going through my mind. Um, you, you know, the idea that this is an idea that as a teacher, I often discuss with fellow colleagues about, you know, how do you, how do you grab the attention of students? You know, um, they, they respond and your students today respond much better to somebody who tells jokes, somebody who's much more akin to being a DJ than a teacher, but does that detract from the, what you're, what you're teaching? Where do you find the balance? Uh, and, and that's the real trick. That uh, teachers have to sort of deal with today. So the success at, you know, teaching comes not from studying, but from these sort of anecd- anecd- anecdotal stories. And then ultimately, the system they come up with seems like they're using kind of an onomatopoeia um, way of teaching English um, through a kind of romanized uh, association with funny words and terms, but when they're set out in Putonghua, they don't really sound anything like the actual English word. Um, it kind it's, of works. Actually. It, it, it 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 can work for like you know memorization if you need to maybe pass a test, especially a written test. But for actual like pronunciation or conversation, I think that it's not that useful in in the long run. But this is the approach that students take today. Um, and we see this here in Hong Kong. It's very reminiscent of the star tutors here in Hong Kong and the ways in which they teach students to approach test-taking here in Hong Kong. It's about teaching to the test
0: rather than teaching knowledge. So you yes, get... I think that's the, that's the point. I, I hope they, I, was wish, I, I wish that they had done some kind of uh, um, uh, criticism about that because these people, they don't learn English to speak English. Yeah, yeah. They learn it's, English it's, you they, know, for practical they,
1: reasons. They, pa- they want to pass the test, they want to get the degree, and they want to make a lot of money yeah um and, and that's fine uh but just you know let's be honest about it you're you're not teaching a generation of students to be knowledgeable, you're just simply teaching them how to pass a test and then when when they're done taking that test, you know the knowledge evaporates because it's not that useful it's not that practical um but that being said, you know there are some it does get some laughs and and it does make fun of some things. The one thing I found a little bit ironic is that at one point they're in a class on. Um, I don't remember what the name of the class was, but it was when they were in university at I guess Beijing or wherever, and they were taking a class on like American culture, and the teacher was teaching about racism, and <laughs> and how you know the you know it, it's just very stereotypical generalization. A white person they saying a white person will never get into an elevator with three black people because they. Think that they're they so they they're they're so racist and then they think that uh that you know the they have something to fear and everything and then the the students you know they they basically kind of walk out of the class and it's a bonding moment for the three students because they say oh you don't you've never been to America you don't know what you're talking about they they feel they're more knowledgeable than the teacher but then towards the end it kind of gets back to that same thing by you know, coming up with these generalizations for the experiences of one of the character that makes him so disgruntled that he ends up, you know, returning to China. And so it sort of falls into the same trap that it initially set out to kind of stand up against. Um, And as Kevin said, yeah, it totally skips any mention of 1989, because it has to, but it finds a way to work in 1999, right? What happened in 1999? Why the U.S. bombing... Of the Chinese embassy in Belgrade, when students <laughs> were out and in the street and protesting, and he works that in as a very sort of significant point because, what what eventually you have is you have students uh, rebelling against the the main characters who are you know the, the head of this uh, this uh, you know, I guess by this time it's a chain, a very successful chain of schools, the tutorial centers that help people sp- pass you know American exams. And so you know there he's getting like stoned at a certain point he's standing up and, and shouting against you know back at the students so it's okay you know for that student protest because that one was against America but we're gonna we're gonna not even touch on the big one in eighty <laughs> nine right um and that's to be expected. I would have been very surprised if they made mention of that um that being said, it does feel genuine in many ways I mean um the, the sort of the, the motivations here, the reasons why the guys want to go to the U.S., it's not really about an interest in U.S. culture. Ultimately, it's about making money, and that's kind of what the film turns into, a success story, this rags-to-riches story, as Kevin mentioned. But, but it does feel genuine. You do feel a sense that, yes, these are three people that, you know, this could be this a, a real story that Peter Chan uncovered about three successful business guys who got together as students and 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 made their way. Um, And that you get the sense that some of these experiences, especially the character who ends up going to the U.S. and having to work as a, as a sort of an intern at a university, basically cleaning rat cages and then uh, also work as a waiter and the way he gets treated. Um, You get the sense that these are real experiences, but I think that, you know, again as a sort of pointing a finger at Americans saying this is how all of America is rather than just sort of isolated experiences is um it, it 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 won't work too well with an American audience or perhaps an international audience, but it should work very well for china um the The other part too is that you know um there's a focus here on relationships that as Kevin said don't really go anywhere there's the main sort of the main character's crush on um this girl what's what's um what's her name kevin uh dujuan yeah. dujuan yes yeah and you know they they kind of spend a lot of time on that and then you know they they graduate and she goes to the us and you know it it kind of dissolves and nothing comes of it and i guess that's okay because that's kind of reality but it's also kind of boring Um, and, and another character's relationship sort of just begins out of nowhere. And then the next thing, you know, there's like a wedding and, and there's no real rhyme or reason to that. Um, and again, that's very real, I guess, but also very boring in terms of storytelling. Um, and so I kind of felt like maybe they needed to spend more time on that or, 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 Actually, I sure I quite th-
0: like that relationship. The one about because that character, uh, uh, what's the name? The Tong Dawei character. He was the 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 playboy, right? He's, he yeah. was, he was like going around and hitting on girls, and suddenly, this employee who serves him, who who shares uh, her lunch with but, him, but, man, but, this of came out of nowhere. I think I quite I quite like it. Was I, good. I, I, yes. It was good, but it it needed more for me,
1: because again, you see you see this playboy character with like other girls and the way he acts. You, the, but, but not enough, but you don't never see him with the wife outside of that one scene. And then there's the wedding I mean, and the price, and then the punchline. But, but I, I wanted more. I wanted to see, yeah. all right, <laughs> has he changed his ways? You know, what's he like as a married man? You know, you, it, it, it never, it never really gets to the meat of that. And, and you never really get a sense of, all right, where's the resolution of, you know, the main romance. We know that it didn't end the way that he had envisioned it ending, but then, you know, what's the next step? it, 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 it diverges like you said the last 15 minutes become this mess because i think it doesn't you know it's spent so much time in these other areas and it never comes back and sort of addresses them it never comes full circle Mm -hmm. um but you know and and there is kind of a point to all of this uh, about respect that kind of serves as the undercurrent of the uh, of the the latter third of the film which is and, the
0: same lesson as it a- man 2. Yes. And, and
1: and I'm thinking the whole time, you know, because they've got different music throughout this film. I think you he, he should have bought the rights to Aretha Franklin's respect and just threw it in as part of the soundtrack. It would have been very appropriate. Um, ultimately, you know, it's not a bad, it's not a terrible film by any way, shape, or form. I know it's a little bit critical of the, some of the politics of it and, and perhaps overly so. Um, that doesn't make it a bad film either. It It is... Fairly entertaining to watch as a film. It's just not as well-constructed as I had hoped, um, and not quite as interesting as as I thought it might have been. I mean, the title is American Dreams in China, and it's really about Chinese people who want to pursue the so-called American dream at starting out in China. And so it's an interesting title, you know, from, from the English sense in the way that, you know, this idea plays, um... You know, for these characters, because ultimately they do achieve that. It does become sort of the rags to riches story, uh, as Kevin said, um, and that that's kind of interesting. It's just quite uneven. So, with that in mind, it, I agree with Kevin. It's a solid TV. All right, Peter Chan, uh, you know, get back but to your. I I think you know it's get, fine. Get back to your '90s Peter. roots.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I think it's fine. Wasn't Peter Chan? I mean, the disappointing part is, um, and I've used this point before is because. It's because Peter Chan's name is is attached to it, and you expect better from him. Yeah.
1: All right. I think it's time uh, to move on, so let me play this. E-Screen, West Screen. Okay, let us move on and talk about our West Screen film, and uh, that is Star Trek Into Darkness. I'm I'm wondering if I should start off with, you know, the uh, space... The final frontier. No, I shouldn't do that. The final frontier. Um, So Star Trek Into Darkness is the sequel to the uh, reboot, I guess, if you will, uh, by J.J. Abrams of the Star Trek film. Um, When was the first film? Was it 2008, I want to say? Four Um, years ago. 2009. 2009. Yeah. So it's been a while. And so now we um, we are back with the sequel, with the cast, continuing on from kind of where we left off. Uh, in the first film, with Chris Pine taking up the role as James T. Kirk and Zachary Quinto back as his friend and uh, First Officer uh, Commander Spock. This time, they are joined by Benedict Cumberbatch as the main antagonist of the film, a gentleman known as, uh, um, let me get his name correct here, because I want to say it's George Harrison, and it's not George Harrison. Is it John Harrison? Uh, John Harrison, yes. So no, no relation to uh, the Beatles, George Harrison. Uh, John Harrison, who is a figure who's uh, undertaken a sort of terrorist position, and uh, he's started to attack um, parts of Starfleet through, um, you know, using using uh, bombs and things. And so the film kind of starts off with this, uh, this sort of terrorist plot uh, to, to sort of get it going. Um, before I get too much into the plot, though, let me, let me say this. Um, Star Trek's not a big property here in Hong Kong. Um, you can't really find much in, in the way of actual local releases with Chinese subtitles um, for any of the Star Trek series, whether we're talking about the original series or even um, those that came after the next generation. Um, I've managed to acquire Deep Space Nine... Um, from China, although I'd question the legitimacy uh, of yeah. that. Um, and so it's never really been a big thing over here for for whatever reason. We, you know, the Star Wars, you can find, uh, Clone Wars plays on TV over here, but Star Trek has not been a thing. Um, too so talky, Perhaps, yeah. Um, yeah. Or perhaps the sci-fi is a bit too um, too out there in, in terms of the way they pursue things rather than the much more action-oriented Star Wars stories. Yeah. Um but uh the the way that they've kind of marketed this film I found interesting cuz on the poster for this there's no English credits. I mean there there are English credits for the actors but there's no English title. So you know you don't see actual English Star Trek Into Darkness anywhere on the poster. It's just got the Chinese title and um getting sort of the front center uh, you know drawing your eyes in focus in terms of the credit is in fact uh, Benedict Cumberbatch, and and the, the the main reason I can make this association, I think, is because of his role in Sherlock, which has gotten quite a bit of play over here. It has gotten um, both seasons have gotten uh, play on TVB on uh, the on Pearl, and uh, they are available with local distributor releases with Chinese subtitles. Um, and so I think that locals recognize him and that's part of the way they're kind of marketing this film. I don't think, um, because Heroes is already kind of far gone. Zachary Quinto was uh, kind of associated with the Silo role, but I think that's, um, people have already forgotten about that, that show. Um, and Chris Pine and, and you know, Zoe, they know, might know Zoe from, uh, uh, Avatar, but that's about it. Chris Pine's probably not on the register over here. So it's not being sold as a Star Trek film you know, by the Star Trek intellectual property, as you might say, Um, which I find kind of interesting. It'll be interesting to see how it will do, and you know, despite the fact that they did have the first film over here, which was released as the English title, Star Trek. Um, So, yeah, this film sort of, you know, goes down this road, starting off with ideas about terrorism against the Federation, and from there, you know, it's kind of a solid continuation in the series. Um if you liked JJ Abrams first take on the characters and his reworking of the timeline um then you're probably going to enjoy this one but this is a film that's probably going to divide uh hardcore longtime Star Trek fans even further um the the setup of the film is good because we kind of start off in James Bond style where we get uh, a look at the crew on an actual mission that's kind of in in the realm of sort of the old-style original series Star Trek missions, um, and it brings into issue the idea of the Prime Directive, and it's got uh, sort of a, a a color palette that's reminiscent, you might say, uh, of the old series, Um and and I think that the setup initially was, was kind of nice, and then that they kind of get into the, you know, the, the title, and they go into the the the, the main story. Um, and there are aspects that are really reflective of uh, current political discussions, you might say. So you've got the issues of terrorism here. Um, there's talk about using uh, the the specialized proton torpedoes as sort of remote strikes that kind of sound like drone strikes and, you know, the ethics behind that. Um, and perhaps this might be a bit too topical for some. Um, I know that if you get too topical in some t- in some films, it can take away from it. And I kind of felt that he was on the border there with what he was trying to do. Um, so, yeah, let me kind of stop there because... If I go on too much further, it's going to be difficult to talk about without spoilers. So I'll turn it over to Kevin, and then we'll come back and spoil the heck out of this film. So.
0: Oh, okay. Because I'm looking at your notes, and I'm like, <gasps> you let it. Oh wait, but we're doing a spoiler second. Yeah, yeah. Okay.
1: So okay. Kevin, uh, I, let me let me just say this: if you're if you, I know this film isn't out yet. We got uh, an advanced screening, and so we were fortunate to get out and see it. Um, so if you're listening to this before the release, um, I, I do say see it. And, but, prepare to choose a side, <laughs> so Kevin,
0: yes, uh, a lot of the territories I think around the world has already gotten it. I think mean, that's the reason we got the uh screen. so people in France if they listen to this, you know, they join in on the spoiler talk yeah. <laughs> but anyway, um, I'm not gonna give much spoilers, but I'm not gonna have i'm not my my opinion is not gonna be as uh, um complex as what paul has has in store because I know he's uh you're a trekkie right, right paul?
1: uh well trekker
0: <laughs> trekk trekker okay yeah. far bigger trekkie than i am because if,
1: if, if i can if i can if i can name myself as a as a trekker rather than a trekkie i think that pushes me over into Trekky territory
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay well i i am not even gonna Go that geeky on you, okay? Uh, I, I, because I'm not a Star Trek watcher until the next generation films. My first uh Star Trek movie was actually First Contact. That was, you know, ironically, is my first contact with Star Trek. Um, I was always a Star Wars fan because, well, and I don't follow the fan fiction even then. I mean, even all the other side stuff. So you know, obviously not a huge consumer uh, of this kind of sci-fi stuff. Um, so on that note uh i felt the first uh the first jj abrams star trek was great it threw out 50 years of stuff you know it totally rebooted to to suit my generation or my my demographic so to speak so i, I thought it was great um and going by that vein uh the sequel holds up it, it it veers very uh doesn't really weird from the the style of the original film i guess the first film uh, Was well, kind of reboot, so so it's more engaging, and here it is kind of like an Im- individual episode, so to speak. So so it's a little weaker with, because you don't have that kind of uh the whole crew you know, that origin story, uh, the engaging part of the origin story. Um, anyone familiar with pop culture references from Star Trek will pick up a few things. I like I said, I'm not a big Star Trek watcher, and I still pick up a few references. I've, some of those i guess we would cover in the in the spoiler section. Um the story starts off kind of meh actually. Uh the the, the whole setup is a as a, a manhunt. It's it felt like it's like, "Oh, really that's all you guys could come up with?" You know, after after that really spectacular first film or the first reboot. Uh but then it really picks up once once it starts getting into it. Um once uh the stakes are set and 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 the action is is there, you know, it it, it it's really it was really engaging. Uh, Too many contrivances, though, in the action sequences. I think that Star Trek films shouldn't be known for the action anyway. Uh, And, you know, for for Star Trek films, there's this many action. I'm sure Star Trek fans are kind of like, what the hell is going on? These people moving and shooting and and explosions and stuff and things crashing into planets. Um, And there is way too many contrivances. Too many things happen at the last minute. Uh, I guess we can go more into that. Again, there's a spoiler sequence thing, but uh, it's really your typical Hollywood action film, but except, you know, it's really repetitive. Every action sequence kind of always ends like at the nick of time, that kind of thing. It it starts getting predictable. So it's not even really that much spoiler. You see it done twice. Then you start, you start predicting that it will happen again. And that kind of takes away the suspense, I think. Um, but the chemistry between the cast keeps getting better and better. Uh, I think Zachary Quinto is brilliant as Spock. Um, Chris Pine is okay. He's kind of the straight man, I suppose. But Zachary Quinto is great as Spock. Uh, Benedict Cumberbatch. Uh, I haven't seen Sherlock yet, sadly. But I thought uh, he was quite good as the villain. Um, and we're not supposed to spill, apparently, his identity. So we'll do that later. But uh, yeah, I thought he was great. He brings a lot. Of, you know, he's very menacing, and uh, the way that the, the script writes him is a very it's not a very complex portrayal but it's a very uh, interesting portrayal of him as a villain uh jj abram clearly cares about the story but maybe not so much about the details of his scripts because then the action sequences might not be so repetitive uh, his directing skill is also slowly getting better but holy lens flare batman <laughs> um it's really not a trademark thing anymore. It's really just getting distracting. Do you see the uh, Paul? did you see the honest trailer for the first Star Trek movie that they they put out last oh, week? I haven't seen it yet. Uh, it's like uh, the guy bought up. It's like so and and look at all the lens flare. Seriously, how could anyone see in that ship? Because <laughs> because it's really distracting. It's like every scene. It's like just just bam, there it is on 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 the screen. It really takes me out of it. Um, uh, uh, but you know, special effects are of course good um and like i said J. abrams is getting better as a director slowly um again wish i didn't have to see it in 3d it, it i took off the glasses for you know several times and it looked like as bright as the film was supposed to look the brightness mashed because I, as we watched the first film and the brightness mashed the first film completely the visual uh scheme holds up but then once i put back on the glasses it's dark and um even though i saw the effects the 3d effects uh they were there but Really, I just don't like the idea of of 3D you know, making all this stuff dark. And I really hate watching 3D films. But I just really want to see it before I took off my trip. So I had to see it in 3D. Um, For a summer film, I think it's a really fun summer film. And uh, this, I guess, will segue into our our, our spoiler section. But I'm really curious about what the fanboys think. Uh, For me, I thought it was a really fun summer film and a really great sequel. A really great continuation of the first film. um, And as a non-Trekkie, I would say see it. So, okay, here we go. All right, so uh,
1: let's get into some spoilers with this. Spoiler. 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 All right, so we're going to spoil the heck out of this film. So if you have not seen it and you don't want to be spoiled, if you haven't already been spoiled, because I know that there's a lot out there, um, you know, don't, don't even bother going over to Wikipedia because it spoils it right away. I've heard IMDB spoils it and I've heard that, uh, a couple more recent interviews have also spoiled things. So I, I tried like mad to avoid spoilers and I'm glad I did, um, in the long run because, uh, of the way they kind of set things up. Although, um, I do have a, a minor criticism with that, but we're going to spoil it. So if you haven't seen it, you don't want to be spoiled. You've been warned. So please don't send your hate mail to me. Or if you do, it's eastscreen at gmail.com. All right, uh, (laughs) so, uh, yeah, the first spoiler, I guess, comes with uh, Benedict Cumberbatch's character's identity of John Harrison and uh, what's actually up with him. There's been a lot of rumors floating around, so let me just play this. (laughs) Yes, it turns out that Benedict Cumberbatch is, in fact, Khan, and I have a problem with Khan, okay, and this comes with the casting. Now, Benedict is a great actor. I've loved him in Sherlock. Um, He's really redefined the role. I think he, you know, outside of maybe, you know, the original uh, that I saw with the originals that I used to watch with uh, Basil Rathbone, he is the definitive Sherlock in my mind. I mean, Elementary is a good series because I like Lucy Liu and it's an interesting take, but it's not—it's no—it's just no Sir Sherlock. Um, and so, yeah, Kevin, if you haven't seen it, you definitely gotta watch it. It's um, it's really really good. the 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 one week episode for me was the one the, the Hound of the Baskervilles episode, but everything else kind of really ties together nicely through the two seasons. So if you get a chance, do watch it. Uh, he's excellent in it. And, That's and, the first and, season,
0: way to watch on my
1: trip. And so is um, um, uh, the Hobbit. Uh, uh, Martin Freeman. Martin, Fr- Martin Freeman's great, too. They 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 have really good chemistry together. Um, but yes, uh, he is playing Khan, and this is part of my problem. So the entire cast, you know, Uhura, Sulu, Chekhov, Kirk, Spock, they've all been created, even Captain Pike. They've all been created with the forerunners of their characters from the original series in mind. And in some ways, they've been picked because of a similar resemblance to those original cast characters. Khan was not. And it was a very specific choice. Now, I know, again, Benedict is a great actor, and he brings a lot to this role. But Khan was an ethnic identity, um, you know, played by the great Ricardo Montalban. And, you know, if they would have gone with a similar, you know, if they would have followed the casting choices in the same ways that they did with the cast it would have been a dead giveaway. So part of the reason for his selection was because JJ wanted to play this game, you know, with the audience of who's his identity. And, you know, is, is it Khan? Is it not Khan? Who is he? You know, and there was all these kind of false giveaways and, and, and and hints to other characters and things, um, that, that was out there. And, and that, 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 I don't know, that kind of bugs me a little bit that he so fundamentally changed the nature of the character, um, whereas he's kept the fundamental mental nature of, you know, the original characters. Um so I I I don't know if that will be an I don't think that's going to be an issue for non Star Trek fans. This is very much a Star Trek uh fan issue. Um but that being said, he was still a pretty awesome con. Um other problems that I have with this um is that they kill Captain Pike. And it's already, they've already diverged so far off the timeline with what happened in the first episode that I have a hard time, if you go through science fiction and time travel stories and theories, there's this understanding that, you know, it it's the, it's the distant sound of thunder effect. Once you make a change, that change ripples out. And so other things are likely to remain the same, uh, unlikely to remain the same. You know, so the fact that this entire crew can still be together, always on the same ship, always in the same positions. I mean, they did make some changes in the first one, and I kind of went along with it. But now they've killed a major character who was supposed to be in command of the Enterprise for much longer than he was. He was supposed to have encounters with, you know, uh, different alien species, and that later has ramifications for later episodes. I'm referring to the Menagerie or the Cage episode from the original series, if um, for fans out there. None of that's going to happen now. None of that can happen now. So you've diverged so far off the timeline, yet at the same time, J.J. Abrams has pushed us into this place where we are reintroduced to the character Khan, and we get some parallelism from the actual second film. He, It's like he says, if I was making the second film... This is what I would have done. Isn't this cool? And I have a problem with that, too. Um, It's just too much. He's trying to shoehorn in these moments that parallel the original Star Trek II, the Wrath of Khan film, that given everything that he's done to mess up this timeline completely just shouldn't happen, right? Um, So that just rubs me the wrong way because it goes against you know what we say when we talk about time travel movies and time travel is already a sticky point with a lot of star trek fans because they've done some time travel so much and it's so messy um so him being able to sort of keep the core crew here and and do the things that he's doing but yet totally screw with everything else i think uh, is going to be problematic for a lot of star trek fans out there um and, and the other interesting thing that I will say about this is that look, looking at these two films, and this just might be my observation, but after you see these two films, you start to realize that this is more a story about Spock than Kirk, right? The first film becomes about um, Spock and losing his mother, losing his planet, and coming to terms you know, with meeting his future self, coming to terms with being in a relationship, and coming to terms with... Letting go of command, you know, when he needs to, realizing what his role, the ideal role, is going to be uh, with this crew. And this film sort of continues that with Spock playing a pivotal role and ultimately being the one who goes one on one with Khan um, at, at a point because he has to avenge Kirk, who's basically dying, you know, in sort of a role reversal from the second film, and who only doesn't die. Because of a sort of a, a, a deus ex machina that uh, they kind of, you know, you, they touch on it at a certain point. Something that just comes from out of nowhere. We don't know why it exists, and you know, it's just like, oh, how come? How come this is like this? Well, let me check this, and then later, oh yeah, we've got this. We can save Kirk. You know, it's just, it's just so. I don't know. It it seems so cheap in terms of of the writing because you see that and you know it's going to come back.
0: Well, because Spock, Spock, I think his, his his character is more interesting to develop because of his whole thing about, oh, his emotional side, sure. his logical side. Sure. I mean, I and, Kirk is just a straight man.
1: And, and 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 I know that some people, and we were talking about this before, you know, Spock as a Vulcan is stronger, and isn't it cool to see him fight with Khan? You know, they have this video game style fight, basically, where they're leaping across moving platforms and, and just battling it out. And yes, it's fine, it's great, but it I mean, it takes away from Kirk as a character. In the past, it's always been about, you know, Spock is the logical one. He's the one who kind of guides them through scientifically. And Kirk is the leader. Kirk's the one who has this bond with the ship. Don't get between Kirk and the ship because the ship is everything to Kirk. And, you know, he ultimately defeats Khan twice, you know, in in the original series and in the second film. And so I know that J.J. was kind of going, well, I want to see Spock be the hero this time which is fine but it just it takes away from the w- what kirk is you know being sort of the, the 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 leadership of the films um and for me it makes chris pine his kirk character more of a joke than that it of is a, where we yeah you're that, right that is of a, a brilliant captain happened. you know and, and, and yeah. again they kind of refer to him the, the fact of him sleeping with aliens they, they kind of make him this one note uh, character that they've already touched on in the, in the first film. Um, and the action is just all over the place. Um, you know, I, maybe I'm old school too much. Maybe I'm, I'm too old school, but I, you know, the battle, the, the starship battle in the second film, you know, still stands out in my mind as, as, as some great space battle sequences. I mean, the effects are dated for sure, but, you know, you have these big mammoth ships moving through space and, you know the way the the way that they engage each other is just so different from uh, you know you sure you've got the lens flare but it just doesn't you know JJ's concept of of the Starfleet battles just doesn't play well on screen for me as much as the old films um even even in some of the TV stuff you know the, some of the TV series i think some of the some of the battle sequences are more interesting than what we're seeing here. Again, it's a lot of explosions in space, but not a lot of like tactical maneuvering and things like that, which I, I've always associated more with Star Trek. Um, so you know, it's just not as fun for me. The film also has a suffers from a common Star Trekism, and that is you've got a scene here where you get an, the elimination of almost all of the Federation High Command. <laughs> and they've done this a couple times in like the Next Generation and some of the other series. And then, like, the next season, they'll have new admirals i'm like where do these people come from why isn't why isn't picard promoted you know yes
0: car and kirk are still stuck as captains you know it's like these guys have been through you know every experience
1: possible they they should have the most experience of of any of these people um so it's
0: like forever middle management yeah it it
1: does kind of suffer from from that common (laughs) common aspect now um i'll I'll try and post this in the show notes I, i was reading on io9 couple days back and Simon Pegg, who plays Scotty who also is very good in this film, um, he has offered a theory and I think it's an interesting theory I don't think it's true but if it is it could really change the nature of how I feel about these films. Um, he thinks that what JJ Abrams could be doing and I, I he might have this planned out already he might be taking all of the guff from Star Trek fans and everything with the intent of coming back and saying, see, see, I knew what I was doing. Um, His theory is that what we're actually seeing is the origin of the mirror universe. Now, Kevin, I think you probably know what the mirror universe is if you've seen um, some of the newer generation stuff, because they have gone over a few times. But the mirror universe originates in the original series where there's an actual sort of alternate universe where things are very dark, and the crew um, are kind of very cutthroat. They're more, more akin to pirates or, you know, sort of an oppressive government rather than the Federation. Um, and it's always been a very interesting universe whenever it's shown up in the TV series. And so Pegg's theory is that this, you know, could be where this universe is heading into sort of setting the origin story of the Mirror Universe. So Spock coming over, altering the timeline, and that whole thing sets up the Mirror Universe. Um, And it's interesting, too, when you think about the title, Into Darkness, um, that possibly what could be happening here is that they're pushing into darkness, you know, the universe itself. So it's going into this this darker place. And some of those things are touched on here with what goes on with why Khan is working for the federation and then against the federation why he's you know his origin here is different from what we see in the original series and then you know in the second film and i think that if that's true um i think that would be a very very make for a very very interesting third film now other people i've talked to said no th- th- there's no way that can be you know this can be the setup going into the third film it's just too dark right but i don't know jj J. abrams you know he could be pulling this one uh you know, like pulling a rabbit out of a hat, uh, leading us along all this time and then actually kind of throwing this back saying, oh, that's the Mirror University. So your original timeline, your original Star Trek stuff is still good, right? Um, because if he doesn't do that, again, what this means is that everything's so changed. You know, there's no, the next generation would be totally different. Um, Deep Space Nine, Voyager. I know a lot of people didn't like Voyager, but I liked it. Uh, hmm. You know, so they, they wouldn't care. But all that stuff is different. Um so I don't know, it'd be very interesting if, if that's the way it's going. Not really convinced it's going that way, but it it'd be neat if it did. Um so yeah, Kevin, any spoilers that uh we didn't cover that you want to touch on?
0: <laughs> no, I, I I think uh you know, the con you know the thing is i I think for for you it's like a lot of these because where you're coming from as a Star Trek fan. Um for me, it's like okay, I, I am not a Star Trek fan, and I kind of like that. It, it appeals to me on, on my demographic or where I'm coming from. I can start from the first one, I can start from or I can start from the last reboot, and start off again from there. Yep. Uh, but it, which if what you're saying is right, and I I don't put it past J.J. Abrams to 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 do this, the mirror universe stuff. Uh, it could be a very interesting direction. Yeah. Um. But the, one that might not be uh something that Paramount would keep wanting to put two
1: hundred million dollars on. Yeah. Maybe. But you know the, the the whole thing with the title. I mean, there's nothing in this film that really, you know, it, there there's nothing in this film that really stipulates into darkness, right? I mean, it's a Klingon, planet. Maybe. Well, they're 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 hinting at the Klingon war, but the, you know that's you know they 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 touch on Klingons here and they talk about the neutral zone and everything but i mean that's all been you know touched on before i don't I, I i don't know maybe some some have said that the third film is going to be about the klingon war maybe that's the darkness i don't know we'll have to see what happens um but yes but, like but kevin I, was
0: I, I quite like that the, the the end of the film is actually the beginning of the original series yes
1: yeah they do end with the the you know the the the, the, the original dialogue about the 5 year mission yes um, so probably. it'll be interesting to see what goes on with the third film although i hope they don't wait quite as long um because i i i think that uh you know they, they they these actors are not getting any younger for sure and if you still want it to be within sort of the original series kind of feel and you don't want like you know chris pine starting to actually look like shatner <laughs> you know when he when they started doing the films um you're gonna have to roll it out a little bit sooner maybe um but yes, like Kevin's right. You know, I, again, I am approaching this from a long being a longtime Star Trek fan. Um, but for the perspective of somebody who's not a Star Trek fan, I can say that um, I sat down with my wife, who's never seen an episode of Star Trek. And I've been hesitant to even show her the, the films because it's kind of hard to know where to begin. You know, do you show somebody you don't show somebody the first Star Trek, the motion picture. You just don't do that. <laughs> That's a terrible <laughs> film to begin with. But do you show somebody Wait. the wrath of Khan without having them having seen space seed? And if you show them space seed, they're not going to want to see the wrath of Khan because it looks so dated. Right. Um, so I, I just said, all right, I'm going to show, I'm going to sit down and we're going to, I'm going to watch the JJ J. Abrams reboot with Star Trek. And she really liked it and she's excited to see the sequel now. So on that level, from the perspective of somebody who's not have any had any exposures to Star Trek, who's, you know, generally likes science fiction movies, but is not a science fiction nut, um, she really liked the first movie, and she's excited to see the second one. So, yeah, there you have it. So, yes, that is our spoilerific discussion of uh, Star Trek Into Darkness. And I'm probably going to see it a second time. Um, you know, again, it's a film, it's a great summer film. I, I know I'm, I'm down on it as a Star Trek movie, but it is a great summer film, good performances. Um, Zachary Quinto is amazing as, as Spock. And, uh, you know, I would often tell people just to see it just for him because I think he's really great. And, and of course, Benedict is awesome too. And, uh, having them two play off of each other is, is pretty nice. So definitely see it big summer film. Um, you, again, 3D, kind of a non-issue for me. Um, you don't need to see it in 3D if you can avoid it. But see it on a big screen. And part of the problem is that, you know, most of the big screens that are showing it are 3D screens. So I'd say see it on a big screen. And if you must, if you can only see it in 3D, well, then, you know, it, it's worth the additional ticket price.
0: Well, it, it, 30 minutes of the film was shot in IMAX. So I'm interested to see what, what they did with, the, with IMAX.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm guessing some of the space stuff. Yeah, maybe. Or maybe 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 the the last sequence, I don't know. Um
0: maybe the opening, probably. Because it was shot practically, I mean, unlike the rest of the stuff which we saw the studio. So yeah.
1: That that could be it too. Although I don't know if that'd be that interesting in IMAX. That opening it was
0: okay. wasn't The Volcano stuff is is cool and the whole jumping off blah blah. Yeah, yeah.
1: (laughs) All right. Well we've we've geeked out a bit too much. So I think it's time to move on. And let me play this. The East is blue. Wait, what? All right, so we would have had a video pick this week, and it would have been Stephen Chow's release of Journey to the West, but, but, but But. what, Kevin?
0: (laughs) But, uh... But, uh, well, Paul, what was your reason for buying it? Well, I'm not buying
1: it. I well, I, I, I knew the date it was coming out, and I went and I looked for it. It wasn't out, then the next day it was. But I we had some discussions and come to find out that there is only a Cantonese track for this Hong Kong release, both on DVD and on Blu-ray. Ciao! Yeah, it's like, what's up with that? <laughs> um, and... You know the question is is are we going to get another release a 3D Blu-ray or DVD combo release a bit later that's going to have a mainland version uh, audio or, or or some kind of mix I mean I'm curious to know your thoughts as somebody who works you know in the industry just distributing these things why why only release one track when nearly every other movie out there that gets released has an audio that includes a Mandarin track and Cantonese track.
0: I mean, this is such my, a big film. My, my theory is that it's certainly not Echo's choice. I mean, if Echo... Echo, essentially, they're just distributor, and they'll take anything they get from the, from the original film owner. Uh, I, I think this is Stephen Chow's um, condition that the Mandarin or some kind of condition in, in China that the, the original Mandarin version cannot play in Hong Kong, part because of some kind of rights. Thing, that echo might have only bought uh the Cantonese version of the film and didn't pay for the mandarin version of the film because uh, Stephen chow's company is, is clearly in charge here um in fact still in it's possibly heading to litigation over the profits of the film so they're holding this from very close to their heart and uh I guess uh, echo isn't paying up or they couldn't uh, negotiate the mandarin track yeah so because I mean... what would distributor would what would distributor intentionally take out stuff that would stop people from buying it
1: yeah, it, it's just weird all around. I mean, um, we we didn't get a Mandarin version, did we?
0: We did not. Instead, we had to choose between a three D and a two D version. Yeah, um, we didn't get a three D version. Either. But I think
1: coming out of the film, we were all very, very much looking forward to seeing the film again with a Mandarin track because of the number of actors speaking Mandarin visibly um, when sound was being recorded, and you know, just to get more of a sense of some of the humor, some of the pacing, some of the dialogue. Because if I remember correctly, there were, there were points when we were talking about the film, not really matching up, right?
0: Yeah. 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 Yeah.
1: Um, so it's, it's unfortunate. Um, I'm kind of thinking we may have to go across the border. Or do you think that, um, you, you, do you think people will be able to get this, get access to this through, you know, channels like yes, Asia or, um have there any been
0: any whispers at all? About about like a Mandarin version? Yeah. Um the the thing is in China right now the, the, the video market is very weak. Uh it's all shifted to a lot of it is shifted to online streaming, legal online streaming. So films like these are, are getting their um on the legal websites uh, quite quickly. I think I think it is on some of the legal ones already. But um because they with more legal uh, streaming means more restrictions, which means that uh, uh, we're, we're not going to be able to get to watch a legal Mandarin version for a while from China because there's no DVD release yet. And mm-hmm. there we don't know how long that would take, which is really weird too, because now that I think of, think back to the trailer,
1: right. When they, when they were running the trailer for this in cinemas, you know, we would see the scenes of, of director Chow giving some direction. And then we'd see scenes of like Huang Bo. Saying saying a line, or you know, Shu Qi saying a line, and they were saying in in Mandarin, if I remember correctly, because the yes, tra- and, uh, the trailers were not dubbed.
0: Uh, was it? Uh, no. The, the 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 Hong Kong trailer that came out later was 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 dubbed in Cantonese. Right, but and I'm um, thinking
1: like remember the original teaser trailer, which was kind of more of like a behind the scenes of them. Oh uh, yeah, yeah, yeah
0: yeah 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 It's true, and you know the only the only I guess the the. the silver lining so to speak is that uh shuchi dubs her own voice in uh in in, in mandarin yeah i mean in cantonese as well yes it's still so, weird so, we don't get so
1: it. we still hear her voice both tracks It is, but so. oh well that is the uh and uh, you know as the dvd spins or some kind of a drama based sounding title <laughs> <laughs> all right i think that's going to do it for our show this week folks um Yeah, I think that uh, uh, if we get any additional news about uh, video releases or, um, you know, any updates to that, we'll talk about that a bit later, we are hoping to do a discussion of the Grandmaster's Blu-ray in a little bit more depth once uh, Mr. Ma returns, and uh, I think that I've uh, talked with a friend of the show, David Lamb, possibly, about joining us. Um, because he has purchased the, uh, I think he said, did he get the DVD or the Blu-ray and he was not too happy with it. Uh, and he's a huge fan of Wong Kar Wai and he has much to say about the video release, much to, uh, much to rant on about the video release. So I'm hoping that... Uh, when well, I think Kevin... I talked about that
0: last week. I hmm. think the, the, the image quality of the uh, the video, yes. Yeah, not, I...
1: not just the image quality, but also the uh, the special features and some of the other things. Um, so I think it is at some point, maybe on, on the next episode, when Kevin comes back, we will spend a bit more time uh, going on about that and hear some other thoughts as well. Uh, comments. We got a comment from a friend of the show, Matt S., he said of our last episode he said uh, talking about iron man i think there is a more mundane explanation for the success of the iron man franchise and he says it's robert downey jr he is the biggest star in the marble stable by far none of the other leads come close in terms of notoriety and ability to bring in a wider audience plus you have the whole subtext of robert downey jr's redemption both professionally uh, and personally and that kind of mirrors you know tony stark and some of the issues that he goes through and we've had discussion with other fans you know that uh you know robert downey jr is in tony stark who is iron man and so it's been a you know it's been a a really good role for him and but i do think that at some point he's going to want to move on um he also says ps Fan bing bing made it to the special thanks section of the credits and i saw that when we watched it i don't know if you caught that uh kevin I think so, yeah. Uh, yeah, and so, yeah, she was, she is actually mentioned, even though she doesn't appear anywhere in the um, the U.S., or I guess it's the international cut. Uh, did you ever make it across the
0: border? To I wasn't it? interested. There was no way I was going to go because it's not like, like I said, it's not like Looper, so, you know, where the difference is huge, I guess. Um, but actually, the, 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 the Chinese distributor, DMG, they were uh, kind of, doing a pr attack uh, i guess a fight fighting back last week saying that um they did they, they they thought the china stuff was very important they thought that it was very important for the film to shoot um in china and that the Chinese scenes are very important and that they work very hard to get those people to um the equipment they need to shoot the china scenes and that they're so ang- they're so unhappy that um the china scenes have been cut out that they're going to take those footage uh that wasn't in the film and and I guess part of the stuff that was in the film, and make their own little prologue short. <laughs> Great. It's true. Yes, they're yeah. going to make a prologue short about Iron Man 3 in, uh, in China that stars only Wang Qi and Fan Bingbing. Excellent. Uh, yeah, so so there's <laughs> that. Um, I mean, it, and it's that's, just one and of those... It, like, I,
1: I think you and your, your friend, uh, Mr. Sponberg, can hop on
0: that, because that'll be a kind of transmedia, right? <laughs> <laughs> Uh by the way a uh, friend uh, um kind of i guess uh, right right away uh Mr. Sponberg is listening to the, to the show live and uh he just told me that the Klingon scene was shot in IMAX for Star Trek 2. Oh okay. So the big uh, sort of battle sequence. Interesting.
1: That that might yes. be worth watching. Um all right, yes and uh, for Marvel fans out there I've read somewhere that uh, Miss Fan, Fan Bing uh sorry uh not Bing Bingbing um uh rah, rah. is it it's not Fon bing bing it's uh who is it We're
0: talking about about what
1: fawn uh Fon. is it Fon? Fon, not Fon? who's the other fawn dog on it is it Fawn? yeah there's a uh... oh no sorry it is Fon bing bing i'm thinking Li bing it's the two bing bing yeah leaving bing <laughs> i like Li bing yeah no uh <laughs> that, that that miss fawn fun bing bing is set to appear in the next x-men film
0: Apparently yes. they're always trying to get into Hollywood.
1: Yeah. So, uh, I guess we'll see her, uh, if not in Iron Man, in X-Men. So look forward to that. Marvel fans. All right. That's going to do it. If you would like to be part of the show, uh, head over to our website. That is concast.com, W castcom dash C A S T. Dot com. You can, uh, drop us a line, join in the conversation there. We would love to hear from you. You can also head us up over at Twitter. Leave us some feedback there. Um, helps us out and uh, helps the show out as well. Uh, you can follow us on, tw- um, or sorry, iTunes. What am I saying? Twitter. Uh, you can help the show out on iTunes by leaving us a review. You can follow us on Twitter. That is twitter.com slash concast uh, to follow the show. Twitter.com slash thegoldenrock if you would fo- please follow Mr. Ma and his frequent updates about f- all
0: things film. And uh, are you going to be tweeting from cons? Uh, I hope so. Um, not many people know, apparently. I'm not i'm keeping this kind of a secret i guess kind of surprise people in uh on facebook and like hey look where i am oh. but uh yeah um if i have time um because i will be trying to catch film maybe doing some coverage for some people i'm not sure what i'm doing yet my girlfriend certainly has no plans so i have to keep her occupied too so um yeah mm. i hope yeah there's a chance i will, I, will I, I, for I, my trip. I think she probably
1: has some plans you know i think she's probably like imagining a Street cafe overlooking, you know, the Eiffel Tower in the background, and a little bit of wine, and uh,
0: you know, that's between me and her, and none of Twitter's business. <laughs> live tweet, live yeah. tweet. <laughs> All I'm right, but, no, I, I'm please, uh,
1: <laughs> please follow the Golden Rock Twitter.com/slash the Golden Rock, and if you're interested, you can follow me. Although I don't tweet that much these days, Twitter.com/slash Foxlore. If you would like to write to us directly at Gmail, it is screen at Gmail.com. Uh, drop us a question, a comment, some feedback, or even a short audio review, and we'll play it here on the show. You can find us on Facebook. That is Facebook.com slash EastSWestS. And we're at Google+, Plus, if you're going to be in Hong Kong and you're interested in coming out to one of our Hong Kong movie night events that we have here, whenever there's a new movie, a local movie coming out in Hong Kong, uh, drop us—drop me a line over there, and I can get you um, hooked up with the movie group events. Catch us on Stitcher. Listen to us on your iPhone, your Android phone, your Blackberry, and your WebOS phones. Stitcher is smart radio for your phone. Find it in your App Store or at Stitcher.com. Stitcher Smart Radio, it's the smarter way to listen to radio, and we thank them for their support to our little show. Additional thanks go out to Rob Gobbers of Snauzer Studios for our theme ross chen of lovehkfilm.com for helping us to organize movie nights here in hong kong of course the k-man off to cons for sticking with me for 146 soon to be 147 episodes and of course you the listeners uh we like being here because you like listening so thank you for all of your support next show uh, i'm not sure when our next regular episode is going to be we've got um, a special interview episode. Um, about uh, an event going on here in Hong Kong that'll be up uh, on the site in both audio in uh, in the stream and video form as a YouTube video so you get a chance to see the two of us on video
0: that's a terrible thought that's already <laughs> online
1: actually it is online but it'll be on it's our on
0: site already. oh on, it's on site but it's on Facebook yeah, is, yeah,
1: yes, yeah. it'll be up on our site uh, later uh, later later this week at the time of this recording. Um, but our probably our next show of interest uh, to people out there internationally is going to be our commentary on Passion Weed at long last. Uh, we've done a commentary yeah, yeah. for Passion Island with our special guest, who I'll introduce on that episode, uh, coming soon for the Buddha's birthday, which is this Friday. So happy birthday, Buddha. And go out and get some Passion Weed. Or at least the Passion Island DVD, if you've got nothing better to spend your money on, and you can listen to our commentary about a lot of other films, because we spent a lot of time talking about a lot of other films and not actually talking that much about Passion Island, because it's just <laughs> not that interesting. <laughs> <laughs> and it's an edited version. Yes, it's, it's an edited. edited you can find out. You can find out all the dirty details of what was cut out from the theatrical version when you listen to our commentary on passion island and that will be coming out a bit later this week for the buddha's birthday which is our friday holiday so all of that and much more on our next show until then this is east screen west screen wishing you good viewing we'll see you in cons or maybe kevin or somebody and if not we'll see you next time
0: merci uh non <laughs> uh, <d'un> bye <assistante> <laughs> <laughs> All uh. right.